Bible and open with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. It's been good this morning singing about the blood of Jesus. And it's always a good reminder to sing those old songs, songs that I grew up on, songs that many of you grew up on, and, and just uh, thinking about the blood of Jesus and how it is the power of, a, of God unto salvation, as Paul said. And so this morning, as we look here in First Peter chapter 4, as we talk about how we can welcome others as Christ has welcomed us, it's a good reminder to, to hear about the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to share a story with you and then uh, move on into the text. Heard about uh, John and Nancy uh, recently. John and Nancy had spent most of their early adult life uh, living in the city. They raised their kids in the city, but there in the city while raising their children, they always dreamed of retiring and owning a home over on the coast. Many of you may have, still have that dream or perhaps you're living that dream. You've got a house here and a house on the coast and you're living the high life, but they always dreamed of it. And after a long search, I mean, it took a long time for them to find the right piece of property, and they found that, and, and they found this piece of property in a lovely little cozy community, and so they purchased it, and they built the home that they always wanted there on the coast. Not long after moving in, though, John and Nancy quickly learned that this cozy new community was a closed community. Most of the citizens who resided there had lived in this community their entire lives. And so they were not so easy to warm up or to welcome those who were new to the community. In fact, John and Nancy were always viewed as the newcomers. And so they were always seen as almost like a stranger. And yet these two people were strong extroverts. And so they pushed through the difficulties and they did not allow it to hinder their involvement within the community. And so a part of that was deciding to worship there in the local church. And so uh, one particular Sunday they went to the local church. And, and as they came in, as you did this morning, they received a, hopefully this is not true of our church though, they received a combination of gentle greets and glares. Uh, people would say, you know, shake their hand and they would greet them, but at the same time, were there some others looking them up and down saying, who are these people? What are they doing here? It wasn't as if the people of the community and of the church didn't want them there. It's just that those in the church that morning didn't expect them to be there. And so the couple was, was warmly welcomed to an extent. They were kind of frowned at also at the same time, and yet they stayed in the church and they worked to develop relationships. They used their extrovertedness to develop some relationships. And little by little, those relationships began to be formed. But in the eyes of most of the people in the community, as well as those relationships have had developed they were still looked at and viewed as quote-unquote the newcomers in fact there was a lady in the church named Joan that often reminded them sort of tongue-in-cheek but she would remind them quite often that they were the newcomers in fact John and Nancy had to uh, visit I guess visit they attended this church as quote-unquote newcomers for 20 years until they were Invited to go to Sunday school. Invited to a, a small group. You say, that's kind of crazy. I, I would agree with that. That's absolutely crazy. But it took 20 years. One winter, they were vacationing down in Florida, snowboarding as many people do. And there in Florida, with their RV, Joan and her husband happened to be close by. And so they came over to John and Nancy's RV for dinner one night. And the two couples sat around the campfire after dinner and talked about their cozy community up north. And Joan began to share a little bit of uh, uh, 
gossip, I guess, some juicy gossip on some of the people back in their community and how they had treated some new people who had moved to that area, some new com- newcomers. The people had apparently been really mean to this, to this family. In fact, they, some of them even refused to acknowledge him. And if they did acknowledge, they refused to really speak at all to them and always pointed out that they were a newcomer and not someone who was a long-time, long lifelong resident of the community like the rest of us, as they would say. And so Joan looks over to Nancy as they were talking about this, and she said, made this statement, Can you believe someone could ever be that unwelcoming to another individual? Nancy, at that point, looks over at her husband, uh, uh, John, and, and winks at him and says, Yeah, I really can't even imagine that, kind of tongue-in-cheek back at her. I wonder this morning, as you hear that story, it's a true story. I changed the names, by the way, <laughs> just for the sake of, of not um, indicting someone else, because it's not necessarily in this church, obviously. I heard it from a church family who's a part of somewhere else. So I changed some of the story as far as the names, but it's true. And so this morning, as you hear that, I don't know about you, but it really, it really uh, grates on my soul. It really hurts my heart in many ways to hear that in the church there would be people who would look at others and say, you're not really one of us, you're not really part of us, you're on the outside, even though you've been here a long time. And so this morning, I wonder how many Jones do, do we have in the congregation? How many people in our church family would be that type of person, a, a Joan, who would look at someone else and constantly keep them at an arm's distance? How many people would fit the description of a person who's completely oblivious to how unwelcoming he or she really is? And then on the flip side, how many of us would would fit the category of a Nancy? If we were brutally honest, we could stand up this morning and we could share testimony how how we have been pushed aside, how we've been marginalized, how we've never been embraced in certain communities, certain contexts, because people never looked at us and says, we want you to be one of us. It happens all the time. It happens in church. It happens in our neighborhoods. It happens in cities. I remember in in our past, Kara and I moving to different places. We've lived in several states in the 15 and a half years that we've been married. And and it takes a long time in every community to really feel like you're accepted. How dare us to ever bring in that sort of mentality into the church. And yet it happens all too often. I want to give you a, a myth of a welcoming church, or you could say a welcoming Christian. Here's the myth. Because I believe sometimes, many times perhaps, we believe that we are super friendly, super welcoming, but here's the myth. You perceive that you are friendly because you and your friends are friendly to one another. That's the myth. That's the reality. You would say, I'm a friendly person. I'm a welcoming person. I, I, I embrace others. But the reality is you're friendly and welcoming to the people that you already know. A welcoming Christian, a welcoming church is someone who loves strangers. It's someone that embraces those who are not like them, who they don't know necessarily, and who are not part of their quote-unquote group. So the reality is many are not friendly because you don't think about the guest and what he or she may experience. You don't even go there in your thought pattern. You don't even go there in your understanding of what someone else's experience might be. You see, most church members, I believe, have forgotten what it's like to be a first-time guest. I shared with you last Sunday about, uh, in the last several months, having an opportunity to go to another church, and, and I, didn't, I didn't branch out and share 
all of the things, but I remember that, that particular morning because it's been a while since I'd been a guest for the first time at a church. Because anytime we go home, whether it's back to Georgia, back to Arkansas, we typically go to our home churches. And so though we're a guest, we're not really a guest because we grew up in those churches. So it's, it, it's sort of old hat. But I remember going to this particular church for the very first time, and as I'm driving there, even though I've been in church my whole life, I'm pastoring a church, I understand church for the most part, I was driving there and I felt this anxiety within me because there were so many unknowns. I don't know, you know, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do? What door do I go in? Where's the worship center once I get in there? Where's the restrooms? How am I going to get my children? All those thoughts were flooding through my mind, and it reminded me that that is what someone who comes to our church experiences when they're coming for the very first time. But as a church member, as someone who's accustomed to being here, we oftentimes forget what those who are our guests are experiencing. So we need to think about that as we seek to be a welcoming Christian and as we seek to be a better and more welcoming church. But here's another thing that kind of goes along with this myth. I believe the reason most Christians are not sharing the gospel with others is because they have forgotten what it's like to be lost and a stranger to God. So we forgot what a newcomer feels like when they come to church, but we also forget in our minds, somehow we forget what it was like before we came in, into relationship with Jesus. We forget how it felt to be lost. We forget how, forgot how it felt to be anxious over our sin, wondering what we could do with our sin, knowing there's something wrong with us but not knowing the solution. And, and yet we carry with us every single day, those of us who are saved, the antidote for the problem, the greatest problem in any person's life. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've sang about it this morning, all about the blood. Paul says that the blood of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is about the blood of Jesus Christ atoning for our sins. And so we need to never forget what it was like before we came to know Jesus. Because if we'll keep that in the forefront of our mind, it will help us to become a more welcoming, embracing, loving follower of Jesus everywhere we are. And so this morning, how welcoming... Are you? I want you to just tackle that question this morning as we walk through this passage of Scripture. I want you to be asking yourself that. Lord, how welcoming am I as a follower of Jesus? And then couple that question corporately with this. How welcoming are we as the Lord's church? At Red Lane Baptist Church, yes, we strive to be a welcoming church. But how welcoming are we really? What can we do better as a church? How can we embrace the people who are in this area, moving all the time to this area? How can we more important, or more strategically and more intentionally welcome them into the family of God? Well, this month we're in this series on biblical hospitality and we're simply calling it Welcome. And the reason we're calling it welcome is because the meta-narrative or the grand story of Scripture is about the gospel. The grand story of Scripture is that God has invited and welcomed sinful strangers through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, into a relationship with Himself. That is what Scripture is all about. It's this great love story of how God has reached down to humanity who's in rebellion with Him and made a way possible for them to be in relationship with Himself. Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus there is saying that all people are welcomed to him. And so it's here that we learn this great truth that we've been uh, really building this whole series around. And here's the biblical truth once again. 
We are to welcome the stranger because God in Jesus Christ has welcomed us as strangers. You see, the reason you should be a welcoming Christian is because Jesus has welcomed you. The reason we should be a welcoming church is because Jesus has welcomed us to himself. Our God is a welcoming God. He embraces the stranger with his arms wide open. No strings attached other than you lay your sins at the foot of the cross and you embrace and receive what he freely offers to you in grace. So as a born again children in the family of God, as his image bearers in this dark world, we are then to welcome the stranger because the Lord has first welcomed us. With that said, I want you to take your copy of God's word and let's read three short verses of scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for what we're learning this month through this series on what it means to be a welcoming Christian. God, I pray this morning you would help us to wrestle with this question. Are we welcoming? Am I, as a Christian, a welcoming follower of Jesus? Lord, help us to learn this morning how we should be and how we can be a more welcoming, a more embracing, a more inclusive type of follower of Jesus than we perhaps have ever been. So Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart to receive what your word would give us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Peter, if you know the backstory of First and Second Peter. Peter is writing here to believers who have been scattered. If you go back to chapter 1, they've been scattered all throughout the, the, the known world at that point because of persecution. Persecution began to take place in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen. And the Bible tells us there that the believers began to leave Jerusalem. Philip goes down to Samaria and begins to preach the gospel. Later goes over to this road, this desert road that leads to Gaza. And he preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the gospel went to Africa. It's flourishing all throughout the Roman Empire. But even in this flourishing of the gospel, there is rampant persecution. And Peter's writing to encourage, to strengthen, and to build up these believers who are disconnected and perhaps even becoming somewhat disenfranchised due to the persecution. And here he instructs the believers, these who have been scattered, to live Christian lives. And he instructs them of how to live their Christian lives. According to the apostle, the life that we are to live in this sinful world while waiting on the return of the Lord should be lived soberly, it should be lived watchfully, and it should be lived prayerfully. And he tells us the reason for that in four, chapter 4, verse 7. He says that the end of all things is coming. The end of all things is at hand, he says. And so he tells us that we must, well, he tells us here what we must show in our lives, what we must shoulder in our lives, as well as what we should share with others through our lives. And Peter here in this chapter, this beautiful chapter, helps us grasp a good understanding of what it means to be a welcoming Christian in a welcoming church. And so this morning, I want to just tackle this one question Are you welcoming? Are you welcoming? As I ask that question, I remember, for some reason my mind goes here, I remember as a child, 
Every, we all have, typically we have two sets of grandparents. My two sets of grandparents were very, very much different. I had one set of grandparents that uh, my grandma in particular, my grandpa was somewhat laid back. I mean, he was not as uptight and as wound as so, so uh, tight as my grandma. But I remember we would go to, uh, well, we went there all the time, but especially we would go there for holidays and stuff, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and my grandma, we would walk into her house, and, and some of you might remember people doing this, but she would have these plastic paths that you could walk through through the house to not get on the carpet. And, uh, I haven't seen, been in all of y'all's homes, but there may be some of you, but I've not seen it in our church. And so I'm not saying this to offend you. Please don't take it that way. But my grandma was a little uptight about some, some things. And if you got off that plastic path, she would absolutely come unglued. Just fly off the handle. She was a Yankee. I mean, we were Southern people in Arkansas. She was a Yankee. She's from Michigan. And uh, she, had, she had that Irish blood in her. She had some red hair. And it would just come out. I mean, she would just get all over you. I remember she had a lot of trinkets and, and little teapots and stuff like that. And I was sort of the favored grandson, so I could get away with a lot more than the rest of my, my cousins. And so I remember them playing with some things, picking up some things, and she would get the Board of Education, as she called it, calls you, tell you to bend over and just give you the what for. That was my grandma. And as I ask this question, are you welcoming, for some reason, my mind goes back to the 80s, going to their house, and if I was a fly on the wall or someone who's not a part of the family walking into that, I would have thought this is the most unwelcoming house I've ever been in. You can't touch anything. You can't walk anywhere. You sit there and you don't talk. You be quiet. It was that sort of environment. You know, I didn't know any different. I was just, whatever, it's grandma's house and, and uh, I'm going to do what I want to do and bear the punishment later. Get the board of education. How many of us in our lives, though, are a little too stretched, a little too wound, a little too tight in our lives, and when we really ask that question, the reality is we're not very welcoming. So I want to give you some metrics this morning. I want us to, to do some self-assessment. How can we know whether or not we are a welcoming church? There's three things that we learn here in this passage of Scripture that we've read, three metrics by which to measure our hospitality. Measurement number one, metric number one, a welcoming Christian earnestly loves strangers. A welcoming Christian earnestly loves strangers. Now, I'm reading, as I always do, from the English Standard Version. Some of your uh, versions, King James, New King James, others may use the word fervent rather than earnest. But this is something we see here. There's the fervency, there's the earnestness in the life of a believer to be welcoming. And so, look what Peter says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, keep loving one another and to do it earnestly. Peter here is quoting an old Hebrew proverb. It's Proverbs 10, 12, where he tells us to, to love one another. He uses a Greek, trans, obviously a Greek translation of this word that's in the Hebrew. And this Greek word, this Greek term here is only used one other time in the New Testament. We find it in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And if you remember what's going on in Acts chapter 12, Peter has been arrested by Herod. And he's facing imminent execution. Many scholars believe that his head would have been taken off the next morning. And so he's in prison awaiting his assured execution. And the church, meanwhile, is praying. The Bible tells us that the, 
church is praying without ceasing. The same word that's used here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. They were praying fervently, they were praying, praying unceasingly, and they were praying earnestly for the release of Peter. So this term here, translated in these different ways, means to be stretched. It means to be strained. It's used of a runner who's moving at maximum output with taut muscles straining and stretching to the limit. Think about a, an Olympic runner. You think about a sprinter as you see him. Perhaps you're one of those crazy people. You like to see it in slow motion. and Kind of like me. I want, I want to see how that, he's stretching forward. And you see those muscles all tight and knitted up. That's the idea here. Is they're being stretched to their limit. This kind of love requires a Christian to put another spiritual good ahead of his or her own desires. In spite of feelings or past experiences. Above all, this kind of commitment to the love which Jesus demonstrated should be personified in the Christian's life. I like what John Angel James says, the great 19th century preacher from England who wrote a great book that I read in seminary called The Earnest Ministry. He said, the earnest man is a man of one idea. And that one idea occupies, it possesses and fills his soul. And so when we think about what it means to be a welcoming Christian, welcoming and loving strangers, John Angel James would lead us to believe that this means it needs to occupy everything in our life, everything in our, our minds, everything in what we do. We need to be a person of one idea, and that is to be a welcoming Christian. It's the nature of true spiritual love, whether from God to man or Christian to Christian or Christian to non-Christian, to cover sins. And so Peter tells us here that when we love one another and we keep on loving one another earnestly, it covers a multitude of sins. His teaching is not leading us to believe or to think that uh, by overlooking a sin, we're overlooking what it an unrepentant church member, just saying, you know what, they're just being themselves. It's not saying that at all. What Paul is saying here is we urgently and earnestly love one another and welcome the stranger. We're not allowing what they do to us to hinder our love for them, our affection for them, or our embrace of them as a potential follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, so many times, that's what happens. See, it means that we should overlook the sins that have been made against ourselves. It, should mean, it means that we should put aside those insults, put aside those unkind words. It means that we should earnestly look past the warts and the flaws that we find in other people and just simply love them because they are a, a creation of God himself. And yet so many times, I don't know about you, but what I see in people, if I'm not careful is I see the warts, and I see the, the flaws, and I see the mistakes, and I see all the things I don't like about a person. What Jesus always looks past that, and he sees what he can be in that person, and what he can create in that person, and he sees the beauty that is a result of it, and thus he loves the person because it's not them he's loving, it's himself that he's loving. So we, as a welcoming follower of Jesus Christ, we got to be able to look through that individual and see what Jesus can do in them to make them a new creation for His glory. Does that make sense? It's a good place to say amen. Kind of quiet this morning. I know she had an opportunity to clap, and if you're like me, you can't clap and sing, so I had to choose one or the other, but uh, I hope you're awake this morning. We need to earnestly love those who are not like us. 
We need to love those who, are doing, who we don't know. We need to even love those who are offensive or embarrassing. It's funny sometimes, it still happens in our culture, that uh, when somebody finds out that I'm a quote-unquote pastor, they, they, they'll immediately, immediately maybe begin to apologize for the language or the jokes they just said. Oh, I didn't know, I'm sorry, pastor, for using that language, which it doesn't ever offend me. I, you know, sinful people are going to act like sinful people. It's fine, it's whatever. But there are times, let's just be honest, there are times that we would look at someone else and by the way they talk or the way they dress or the way they act or whatever about them, we are embarrassed, so we would never invite them to church. And yet this is the one place they ought to be because here they can hear the gospel. Here they can have the gospel uh, explained to them. Here can, they can have an opportunity to embrace the gospel and to be saved. And yet because we're offended by somebody or embarrassed by someone, we never even invite them. And yet we must be inviting people and welcoming people every single day. We need to be that type of welcoming Christian. Have you ever met a Christian like that? so welcoming that they literally make you feel uncomfortable because they are going out of their way to serve someone else, out of their way to make sure that they feel embraced, make sure that you feel embraced and welcomed and, and wanted in church or wanted in a place. Have you ever met that kind of Christian who is dead set on ensuring that you have a good experience at church? That's what it means to be a welcoming Christian. That's what a welcoming Christian looks like. They earnestly love strangers. How do you measure up? The second metric is this. A welcoming Christian willingly loves strangers. Willingly loves strangers. When we think about love, I think sometimes we overthink it. I mean, love is intensely practical. Love is not just an emotional thing. Love is a practical thing. In fact, uh, one of my favorite uh, Christian groups from the 90s is DC Talk. They used to sing a song, Love is a Verb. I, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning because I want you to come back next week. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is something you do towards someone, something you act upon. It's not just a feeling that you feel. So if we think about the early church, back in the early church, for them, love included one opening his or her home. It, it included caring for the needs of others. Peter here is commanding believers to demonstrate this kind of hospitality, this love of strangers. And here he adds the qualifier. He says, to do so without grumbling. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another. What does that mean? Love the stranger, but don't grumble in doing it. That's what Peter's saying. Love the stranger, be hospitable to the stranger, be the hands and feet of Jesus to the stranger, but do it in a way that you're not grumbling. Do it in a way that you're not fussing about it. Do it in a way that you're delighting in what you're doing. The mere fact that he adds this qualifier to the command means that it's possible to show hospitality to the stranger, but to do it in the wrong spirit. How many times have you done that in your life? You invite somebody over or you get um, coerced into being hospitable towards someone else, or maybe you really genuinely embraced, you want this person to come to your house, but because of all the circumstances that's been going on in your life leading up to this point, maybe it's the day before, maybe it was that morning, the fact that they're coming over now is an inconvenience to you, and so instead of embracing, instead of celebrating, what you're doing is you're looking at the dishes that are piling up, you're looking at the mess that their kids have made in your house, whatever the circumstances, instead of rejoicing in this opportunity, you find yourself grumbling. Peter would say, show hospitality and do it without grumbling. So the command here, 
is something that's to engage not just simply the, the motions and to go through the motions, but to engage the heart. The command to be hospitable. It's, it's not just a command to do something. It's not just a command that can be legalistically, legalistically fulfilled with some sort of quota of guests in your home. It's a command to be a certain kind of person, namely the kind that doesn't resent having to be hospitable. It's a command to be the kind of Christian who doesn't look at the, as I said, the mess that's been made. People are messy, right? People are messy, right? You're messy, by the way. You know the reason you have to do dishes all the time? Because you're messy. The reason you have to clean your house or pay someone to clean your house? Because you're messy. We are messy people. And oftentimes being hospitable to the stranger means that you have to get messy with them. It means you're embracing someone that maybe is different from you as night and day. Their life is a mess. Their life is in shambles. They're going through divorce. They've walked in serious sin. I mean, just you name it. They are a walking mess. And God is calling you to be hospitable to them, to embrace them, to love them. And yet we oftentimes, we want to keep them at arm's length because we don't want their funk on us. Right? We don't want the way they smell to be on us. People are messy. that's a good thing. When we begin to smell like those that we're helping, it means that ministry might be taking place. I had to learn this lesson a hard way. When I was in college many, many years ago, I, I was an intern at my home church, large church, and uh, for three years I served as the intern, and my responsibility was I ran our student facility. And so 17,000 square foot of student facilities. We had two big rooms on either side of the, of the, of the big room, the big uh, facility. And in between it, I had a full cafe, and I had uh, an indoor basketball cage. We had all kinds of game consoles, pool tables, ping pong, all sorts of activities for kids. We would bus in hundreds of middle schoolers every single Wednesday. On top of that, we had, middle, or, uh, we had junior high and high school kids who would come after their practices. And so every Wednesday night for our worship services, we would have five to 600 students in our facility roughly three to four hours. As you can imagine, I said earlier, people are messy. When you've got five to 600 students in a room like that, even though 17,000 square feet is a pretty big space, when you've got that many kids in that type of building, messes are sure to happen. And so every single Wednesday night, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm putting fires out one after another. I mean, I've got, I'm, I'm trying to staff this cafe. I'm trying to staff the, the room with adult volunteers. And then people would call and say, hey, I can't make it today. So I've got to shuffle around, try to find people to, to fill those spots. Kids are spilling food and drink everywhere. You've got uh, baptistries that need to be filled because we have baptized kids every Wednesday night there. And so I, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to get volunteers to help with that. I mean, it was crazy. And then on top of it all, what really what really um, just lit my fire was that they would clog the toilets up one after another. I mean, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do ministry, and I get called, hey, James, we need you to clog, unclog the toilet in the men's restroom. Hey, I need you to come in the ladies' restroom. They got a mess in there. And I'm like, and after a while, I just got mad. And just, I would resent Wednesday nights. I would resent the kids that were there. And I just, I hated it. I, I couldn't wait for the kids to go home at night. I couldn't wait for them to leave and get out of my building. 
You ever felt like that? One morning in my devotion time, God hit me upside the head with a proverb. Proverbs 14.4. Y'all know that proverb? It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And what in the world does that have to do with teenagers in a building? Everything. You see, if you want to have an ox, and the benefits, better yet, that come from having an ox, you must also have the mess that comes with the ox. Some of you who have farms know what I'm talking about. you got a barn there. you got a stockyard there. You, you, maybe you're milking cows, and, and, and you're getting that beautiful milk that we love so much. Everybody loves to have the milk. You want to drink the milk. You want to use the milk in your baking. But to have milk, you also have to have the manure that comes with it. Now, you don't want them together, obviously. But to get in there to get the milk, you have to step through manure to sit down in your little stool to do it old school style and begin to take those udders and get that fresh warm milk out. you got to have one to get the other. And so God taught me there through this passage that if I wanted to be a part of a church that's reaching teenagers and seeing them come to know Jesus Christ by the dozens and the hundreds each year, then I've also got to be a part of a church that brings in all the mess that the kids have. You can't have one without the other. That's the Lord rebuked me through that passage. I began to see teenagers through a different light. I began to see the ministry I was a part of through a different light. Now, did I still have to bite my tongue at times? Absolutely, because I was human, and, and I did not like cleaning toilets. No one likes uh, unclogging toilets on a, any given day. But that's what happens when you're reaching people. So if you want a clean stall in the barn, you can't have an ox. Not having an ox means you don't get the benefits of an ox that an ox provides either. And so you must understand that people are messy and we need to be a type of Christian who welcomes others, willingly loves strangers. Not with a grumbling spirit, not with a resentment within our hearts. And so how do you measure up? Are you a welcoming Christian? If you are, it means you're the kind of Christian who doesn't just welcome strangers, but you like to welcome strangers. You delight in it. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10 implies that we should let our hospitality, hospitality be an extension or an overflow of God's hospitality to you. And so it brings us now to the third metric. <clears throat> A welcoming Christian selflessly loves strangers. Look what he says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he goes on to lay out all a list of things that God has graciously done and given us. So the Bible here says that each of us have been given a supernaturally designed ability to use through the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to the lives of others, to, to help reach a lost world. We would look at Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and we would see some list of spiritual gifts. And so we need to understand this morning, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you at least have a spiritual gift, maybe multiple spiritual gifts. And you're to employ that spiritual gift into the work of ministry to the benefit of other people, to help you to become a welcoming follower of Christ. In addition, the believer knows that every resource that he or she has is a gift from God to be used in service of others. And so what, we're, what Peter is here telling us is this. You have a spiritual gift, employ it into the Lord's service. He's also given you other types of gifts. Use it for the glory of God and for the betterment of other people. Employ both of these in the work of the ministry. So a welcoming Christian then 
understands that he or she has experienced this hospitality that God has given toward them, and he has welcomed and blessed the individual with a relationship and these gifts. Now that welcoming Christian uses his or her life as a conduit of God's hospitality rather than being a self-decaying cul-de-sac. I've never been to Israel. I've never seen the Dead Sea in person. But if you read your Bible, you know that the Jordan River runs into what's called the Dead Sea. Why is the Dead Sea dead? It's because there's nothing that flows out of it. It's below sea level. It never empties out other than by evaporation. And so it just becomes more and more salty. You can go to the Dead Sea and you can jump out there in the water and float. If I jump in the water, I sink like a rock. Now I can swim, but I've never been the person that could just lay on my back and float around. I've never been able to do that. I'm like lead weight. But if I was to go to the Dead Sea, I could jump out there and float on top. Why? It's because the sea is dead. So many times, our Christian lives are just like that. Now, there's life in us. There's the life of Christ in us. But because of what God is pouring into us, because it's never going out of us, we are nothing more than a self-decaying cul-de-sac of God's gifts. And yet, if we'll take what the Lord's given us, His spiritual gifts, His other abilities and, and resources, and if we'll allow ourselves to be a conduit of His resources, a conduit of His grace, we are always a welcoming, loving, nurturing type of Christian. I was over in the home of some of our potential candidates for membership this past week. Actually, this happened several times lately. And I always use this phrase is that when we, that we as a church, when we talk with new people, and people who are seeking membership here, we use this phrase. We want you to be a person who God's using to serve in our church. We don't want you to be someone who sits and soaks. Because someone who sits and soaks sours, right? You ever remember we all used to use those sponges in our kitchens back in the day? My grandma, speaking of my grandma, she had one of those. You'd use that sponge, wipe up the counter, get all the water out, and you'd try to wring it as best you could, but then you'd lay it up on the counter, and after about a week or two of using that thing, it would stink, right? It would sour. That's what happens when we become someone who's nothing more than a cul-de-sac of God's good grace. We need to be a Christian who is allowing his resources to flow through us. We need to selflessly love strangers. You is using our giftedness to pour our lives and the life of Jesus into other people. So the good steward here holds what he has loosely. The good steward understands that it's not really his to begin with. He works it. He invests it. He trusts God with it. He believes that, that what he has is his so that he can use it to serve other people. So this morning, even as we next Sunday will we'll affirm our renovation project and we'll talk about the immense cost of what this is going to be. We need to understand that all of us have a responsibility in this. All of us need to chip in. All of us need to serve. All of us need to sacrifice. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about people that have yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ who will connect with this church because we're reinvesting in our infrastructure to be a more engaging, more welcoming, more embracing type of church simply from the standpoint of our facilities. So how are you measuring up today? Are you a welcoming Christian? Can you say that you earnestly love the stranger? Or are you the type of Christian who's upset when they're sitting in your seat? I, I, hope, you're, I hope you're not shaking your head and saying, yeah, that's me. But if it is, I hope, <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. Let's be the type of Christian that we just serve people. 
We just serve people. It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about them. It's about giving up for them. Let's be the type of Christian who earnestly, willingly, and selflessly loves strangers. And here's what will happen if that's the case. We'll have a church that earnestly, willingly, and selflessly loves strangers. So how are we doing in this area as a church? How welcoming are we as a church? We're only as welcoming as our people are welcoming. We're only as welcoming as a church as you are welcoming as a Christian. So how are you doing this morning? Do you earnestly love strangers? Do you willingly love strangers? And do you selflessly love strangers? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the one who earnestly loves us. Lord, the Bible tells us that you loved us so much that you went to a cross. The Bible tells us that you demonstrated that love, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you this morning that you earnestly love every stranger. God, we also thank you and praise you that you willingly went to the cross. It wasn't begrudgingly. You weren't fussing about it. You weren't complaining about it. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, you understood the the immensity of it. As you asked the Father, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But you willingly embraced the cross. Thus, you selflessly loved strangers. It was never about your feelings or your experience. It was always about... And it remains always about loving those who have yet to hear the gospel. Father, I pray for Red Lane. I thank you that this is a great church with great people. People who love you, people who love others. Lord, there's room to grow in what it means to be a welcoming Christian. God, may we never judge our welcomeness. May we never judge our friendliness by comparing how we talk with the people we know. But God, may we judge and evaluate ourselves by how welcoming we are to the people we've never met. Or the people that we don't necessarily look like, act like, run with. God, challenge us this morning. Grow us in this area. And Lord, help us to see the greatness of of the cross. Today in this room, Lord, there are men and women, there are teenagers and children who need to reach out and welcome you into their lives. Lord, right now you're knocking on the door of their own heart and you're saying, let me in. You're saying, I love you. I've I've done everything to be in relationship with you. Lord, I pray this morning they would open that door and allow you to become the Lord and Savior of their Now, there's Christians in this room here who realize this morning that they're not very welcoming as a person. They're like the grandma who has plastic runners throughout the house. You've got to stay on a certain course. You've got to be a certain way. You've got to say certain things. Or or you're kind of kept at arm's length rather than welcomed and loved and cared for. Lord Jesus, I pray that that's the case of anyone in this room, that this would be a place and a moment of confession and repentance. God, we thank you for what you're doing, people you're bringing into the life of our church. Even this month, many 
joining. And Father, I pray if there's others who've been visiting our church for some time, they really just sense this is a church for them to connect. May today be the day where they just that clicks for them and they say, I, I wanna I want to start the process. Lord, whatever decisions need to be made as we stand in a, just a moment for a time of response, I pray that we both have the courage and the boldness to come forward and say, I need to get right with Christ. I want to join this church. Maybe they just need to get alone and pray. Help us to be responsive this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.